Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is December the 19th, 2022. Uh, 2022 has been, I think, a cunning year uh, with a sting in its tail. I'm not sure maybe it's a sting or something else, maybe a gift in its tail. It was supposed to be all about the crash of tech, the scam of crypto and all the rest of it. But suddenly we have a new thing, which seems to me at least, and I tend to be quite skeptical on tech, real and interesting chat GPT, um, smart AI, AI that we can have conversations with, AI that we can learn from. Uh, it's been developed by OpenAI, a private AI company based in San Francisco. We've done some shows on it over the last couple of weeks, one with my friend Keith Tier, the original investor in TechCrunch. He knows a good thing when he sees it. Also last week uh, with uh, a Chinese um, entrepreneur, Wiley Dai, who uh, is also jumping on the bandwagon. Interesting piece in the uh, information, an excellent tech publication, online publication about chat GPT being on fire. And according to um, the author of the piece, Chris uh, Stokely Walker, who has actually been on the show, it's developed already a cottage industry of bot builders um, that is exploding along it. And the one that they cited was from my old friend Joshua Browder, who is the CEO of Do Not Pay. He has a tweet out saying, here it is, the first ever Comcast bill negotiated 100% with AI and LLMs. Our Do Not Pay chat GPT bot talks to Comcast chat to save one of our engineers $120 on their internet bill. I couldn't think of a better way of using uh, smart AI than avoiding having to talk to Comcast. Um, but I do like talking to Josh. He's been on the show a couple of times before, and he's joining us um, from the Do Not Pay um, offices uh, just down by the ballpark in San Francisco. J Josh, what exactly is GPT? Is it a... a a technological breakthrough, um, or is it simply an application of AI that, that that works better than previous applications? So there's different types of GPT. There's Chat GPT, which is a consumer product from OpenAI, and that's really what's captured everyone's imagination. But what's really exciting is that OpenAI also has developer tools and APIs called GPT-3 and DaVinci and others um, that allow people like us and do not pay to build on top of the same technology. And so ChatGPT is a very cool demo for consumers, but the real value is actually in the APIs and what you can build with it. So are you having to pay um, OpenAI to access um, their, their technology? Is that how it works? Yes, we're paying them. Um, we're, we're not paying them enough, though. It's very cheap. We shouldn't be saying that, Josh. They're going to triple the charges. Well, I'm a very humble guy. I don't think they're base, basing their pricing decisions off of what I say. I hope not. But if, if, if they're watching this, we're actually paying them too much. So how, um, how revolutionary is this technology, the technology that, that you have access to through their APIs? 
So it's overhyped and underhyped. It's overhyped because um, what it's really good at doing is having a conversation. And that's a really cool demo, but there's only a few use cases that having a conversation uh, with technology can actually be useful for. Um, it's underhyped because if you retrain it and build on top of it, you can actually do really powerful things. In our example, um, Do Not Pay has been negotiating bills and fighting companies for the past five years, but we've mainly been using templates. So we generate a letter and send it off to the company. And that's great for something like a parking ticket, but if the company responds, our software is not able to respond to what the company is saying. And so if we combine our existing technology with ChatGPT and uh, their APIs, then that has allowed us to do much more powerful things, like the Comcast demo you highlighted earlier in the video. And how is this AI acquiring its intelligence? Um, I did a little bit of research beforehand. I looked at Wikipedia on ChatGPT. This generative pre-trained transformer, generative AI. Is this AI, generative AI, is it something that is a kind of combined effort of humans and AI? Is that its key? Is that what distinguishes it from previous uh, models of AI? I think the reason it's so good is it's just the training data. What they've done is they've taken billions of documents or even perhaps trillions of documents available online, books, um, news articles up to the end of 2021. And using these huge models, the software has figured out with like neural networks and machine learning um, how to respond in certain situations. But even with all of that training, it was still not good enough for do not pay. We then built on top of it and said, based on the thousand successful cases that we've had as a company, write this letter. So ChatGPT is really good at uh, holding conversations, but it's not good in a specific industry. And so developers like us, you have to retrain it. A lot of the, the talk about ChatGPT has touched on uh, Microsoft's association with it and its use of Azure. Um, is this ultimately a big tech product coming out of uh, the Microsoft uh, arsenal? I think so. I think it's a shame the future of this great technology, AI, will be dominated just like everything else before it by a few large platforms. The good news is that there are four large platforms, not one. And so you, we anticipate that Amazon um, and others will come up with competing services and, and Google as well. And because of that, there will be a lot of competition between these big tech players so that it's not too expensive for developers like us. So do you see your association with OpenAI and your use of ChatGBT as essentially a, uh, a Microsoft association too, and that they're one of these players along with Amazon, Google, maybe Facebook or somebody else? I think it was very smart of Microsoft to invest so much in OpenAI. Um, we just see them as another uh, tech API partner we use Amazon for our web hosting. We use Twilio to actually call up some of the companies automatically. Um, we use Lob to send mail in the real world. And it's just another tool available to us. But we don't really see it as a partnership or an association at the moment. You were on the show back in 2016 um, on Innovate 2016. So six years ago, just when you're starting out, you and I had met at DLD in New York a few years ago, Josh. Um, 
You seem very excited with this. Is this a sort of an implicit acknowledgement that pre-GPT AI didn't really work very well and that even a company like Do Not Pay wasn't that viable? Well, the good news is that fighting parking tickets and uh, getting refunds from United Airlines is, it was not rocket science. Um, so that's why we've been very successful helping consumers with templates. In some cases, if you send a template letter to a credit reporting company, they have to investigate once they receive the template. So consumers can fight back a lot with these pre-written letters. With that said, though, AI expands what we can do. We're now looking into things like disputing $5,000 medical bills. And when we, just, when we first spoke in 2016, that would have never been possible. So I think that AI really was not very useful uh, for consumers in the past few years, but now it's going to start to get very useful. Josh, I could make all sorts of lawyer jokes. They're not hard to do. But of course, from many lawyers' point of view, this might not be very good news. I mean, what does this suggest about the future of ordinary lawyers, maybe not fancy lawyers who work at Microsoft or Google or some of the top New York firms, but for the average lawyer who works uh, with clients on fighting $5,000 bills, what does this suggest about the future of their profession? I, I think they should be very worried about their job. Um, to your point, there are lots of good lawyers who argue human rights cases in court I don't think they have to worry, but the lawyers focused on, for example, I recently had my uh, landlord, he's drafting up a new lease and it's going back and forth with his lawyer. There's no reason why that person has to do that. It's, a, it's the perfect job for um, chat GPT and similar technologies to automate. And you can even go to chat GPT right now and say, draft me a lease and it will do it for you. And at least in that area of the law, it's actually pretty good. Lots of talk, Josh, as you know, over the last few years on something called Web3, crypto, distributed platforms, and blockchain in particular. Does this fit with blockchain or is this a parallel revolution? It doesn't seem as if Web3 has happened. A lot of it seems what I would describe as almost childishly utopian, but this seems very real. Is there a connection with blockchain here, especially in terms of uh, having a, a kind of uh, a transparent backbone, making sure that everyone now trusts whatever the machine is suggesting as we do. I, I don't think there's any connection at all. Um, I, I Like you, I've been in the kind of Silicon Valley, Valley bubble for a few years now, and all of my friends were saying crypto is so great, all of this stuff. I was never really a part of it. I, I personally thought it was all of us, all a scam. Um, and I think that this is very real. Um, and this is something that I'm personally very excited about. Interestingly, you're seeing a lot of um, funds and companies, they, they remove all mentions of crypto from their website and they're saying, we're now an AI company and all of this stuff. So I, I found that interesting. I think there are a lot of people chasing the hype, but at the same time, it is a very real technology. It, it does seem very real. What, um, what are your goals for 2023? You're moving fast. You're a you, you have venture capital behind you. How much money have you raised? We've raised about um, 25 million and we have most of that still in the bank because we're profitable as a company. Um, we, we have uh, goals in terms of the number of consumers we want to reach, but mainly in terms of the products. Um, right now, uh, we're building this thing where 
do not pay will sit on your shoulder and every company you interact with, it will find a way if there's a legal basis to get a refund. And so I'm very excited about that using AI. So imagine like your, your internet is too slow and you don't even have to tell it. It just goes, goes out to Comcast and gets you that discount automatically. We don't like lawyers, but we have to, or at least pre-do uh, not pay, pre-chat GPT, we have to deal with lawyers. And we, I think we, we hire them if we trust them. Why should we trust you? How can we trust, for example, that you aren't being sponsored by AT&T so that you're encouraging all your customers to go out and sue Comcast? I think that the, um, well, our consumers pay us. It costs thirty-six dollars, um, and that—that's who. We what do they get for that thirty-six dollars? They get access. It's uh, every three months. It, they get access to everything in Do Not Pay's products and services. So it's all you can eat. And I think it's important when you're using technology, you have to think about who is the customer. Um, and if you're not paying for the product, the old saying goes, "You are you are the product." Beyond that, though, mm. we have to be very careful with this AI because. In the Comcast demo that you highlighted, um, there were there were kind of two problems with it. The first is it was way too polite. Whenever Comcast was saying um, thank you, our AI would say you're welcome, and it would almost go in a in a loop three times until the human agent on Comcast side finally broke it. Um, and so we're trying to make sure our AI actually talks like a human so that it can get the best results. And then the second thing, which is um, I'm very concerned about, is the AI is very manipulative. Um, in the example that I shared, um, it said that there were all these internet outages and we didn't tell it to say that, that, that wasn't actually true. Um, it just made it up. And so like humans can lie, AI can lie. And so what we've had to do from a company liability standpoint is we have to rein it in a bit to make sure that it doesn't actually make up things because that's not good. When it says it makes up things, I mean, you know, we, we've been arguing about this ever since anyone came up with the idea of AI, but does it have its own mind? I mean, is it thinking for itself when you say it makes up things? It definitely is thinking for itself. It's basing its experience, in this case, all of human literature that has gone into its training to make a decision about what to say. And based on all of that, it, it makes it up. Um, so we think we can still get it to be successful, even if it doesn't make things up, because it can still be aggressive and emotional, mentioning laws, but it can't say things that are just factually not true. Are you then curating everything that goes out? Do you have engineers or customer service people that do not pay who check for its veracity? We have so we everything is automated, but we we have built systems that um, will will stop it both going in and also going out to make sure because we're responsible for what it says, even though it thinks for itself. Are we on the brink of an age, um, Josh, where there aren't gonna be bullshit jobs anymore? The kind of bullshit jobs that exists in, in, in law firms and at companies like Comcast, all this customer service stuff. I mean, it can work both ways. Why wouldn't you sell your product also to Comcast? I, I think that um, Comcast, it, the, the big companies will start using this technology as well. And the bots, the consumer bots will just talk with the um, enterprise bots. And that's great because everyone hates bureaucracy and it would save a lot of people a lot of time. Um, I also think that this new technology has surprised and delighted us. And usually the best technology goes to the corporations and the governments first. 
And our mission at Do Not Pay is to get it in the hands of the consumers first for once. You say that's your mission, but what happens if you get a call from a senior person at Comcast saying, we want your technology and we're willing to pay more than the consumers and we don't want consumers having access to this because it's giving us a lot of grief. We have millions and millions of people who have used Do Not Pay and there's only one Comcast. And once that uh, would be revealed, it, it would be a disaster. Also, as you can probably tell from the way I talk and behave, I'm very anti-establishment. So I'm not sure I would even get through Comcast processes for them to become a customer. You're anti-establishment, but you're also part of a kind of counter-establishment. You're running a company that raised 25 million venture money or one of the up and coming superstars of Silicon Valley. So it's not really an establishment issue, is it, Josh? Um, I, I think that we're um, treading on a lot of new grounds here. Uh, one thing we're working on, and this is just an experiment, not a consumer product, but we're actually going to bring AI into a real courtroom where someone with a speeding ticket has their AirPods in um, because in some places they're allowed as hearing aids and the AI is going to whisper in their ear what to say for the speeding ticket. And it's going to be the first ever case where AI has represented someone in the courtroom. And that is definitely anti-establishment. When I suggested that idea, so many lawyers started going crazy at me on Twitter. What is the government's response going to be? Surely this is going to get fought out ultimately in, in courtrooms. Uh, I would guess it might even be something that goes to the Supreme Court. I mean, this is so new and so transformative, disruptive, revolutionary. The idea, for example, uh, the implications for law enforcement, for the police and for the law itself. Yeah, it impacts so many areas. There's a lot of interesting cases that I think will end up in the Supreme Court. One of the most interesting is against uh, GitHub, the um, coding website. Um, they have this tool that um, allows developers to generate code automatically using this similar open AI technology. But the problem is that it was trained off of open source and closed source code. And so there's a copyright issue. And the question is, if the AI comes up with something, who owns the copyright? And also, who owns the AI? Because uh, if it's built on other people's work, do they deserve to get compensated? And I think all of these issues are already playing out in the courts and will eventually make its way up to the Supreme Court. Open AI isn't open. Um, e even Elon Musk has pointed that out, and he was one of the early investors. Sam Altman is uh, the CEO there and has been very vocal in, in the idea of using technology to make the world a better place. Do you trust OpenAI? Could it be the next Google or Facebook or Microsoft or Amazon? I'm not sure about the structure because it's a nonprofit. Um, it isn't a nonprofit. It's, it's, it's the opposite of a nonprofit, Joe. Well, it's, it's like a nonprofit for profit. It's a very weird structure. And so I don't think it could go public or, or something like that. Um, but but beyond that, um, I don't trust corporations at all. I mean, Do Not Pay's mission is to fight corporations, but I do trust incentives. And I think that there are enough big tech platforms, Google, Apple, Microsoft, um, and others, that there will be enough competition to, to make these companies good in terms of how they treat developers and how they um, price and market their products. There's also a lot of government intervention with these things. And so I think there's a lot of scrutiny. And so I think it will work out the best, but not, not because these people are good, but because the market and government incentives push them that way.
uh, chat GPT is, is learning not just to code, as the New York Times reminds us, but to blog and argue. Um, Gary Marcus, uh, one of America's leading AI thinkers, uh, was on the show recently. He suggested it will never replicate the human act of writing on his Twitter page. Uh, his, uh, his, 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 his pinned tweet is, um, uh, he, he writes, our focus should be on figuring out of figuring on how to build AI that can represent and reason about values rather than simply perpetuating past data. He said, we need to invent a breed of AI systems that mix an awareness of the past with values that represent the future that we aspire to. In other words, I think he wants a subjective AI, almost a human one. Do you agree with Marcus? No, I, I strongly disagree. Um, First of all, there are AI Twitter accounts now where they, the AI just responds to everyone's tweets and you can't tell whether it's an AI or a human. Um, and it's not just presenting facts, it's also presenting opinions. If you go on ChatGPT and ask it for an opinion, sometimes it will actually give you a real opinion. And the only reason it won't give you a real opinion is sometimes the open AI, um, they've created limits so that uh, they don't want it expressing controversial opinions. So it says this is not in compliance with OpenAI's policies and we can't give you this opinion. But there are ways to even get around that because you say, imagine you're in a story and in this story, this person is sharing an opinion and then it actually gives you what it thinks. And so I don't think it's limited to presenting facts. It's definitely very opinionated. Um, someone actually put the OpenAI bot through a political uh, beliefs test and I think it comes out as left-leaning and libertarian. So in other words, software always uh, reflects the values of its creators. And of course, uh, Sam Altman and his team at AI are, are, are left-wing and libertarian. Are you suggesting that, even, that, that, that no technology can escape the politics of its creators? I, I think that um, it could be. To, to, I, I don't think that anyone is purposely training anything to be to be a certain political belief. I think it's based on the training data. Maybe a lot of the online material it uh, is is biased towards that political uh, viewpoint. And and I think that's another important issue in AI in general. Um, software is only as unbiased as the training data. So you need to make sure that it's representative of different opinions and facts and things like that. We've done a number of shows on AI and diversity and using this technology to challenge this racial gender discrimination. Uh, are you seeing that with Do Not Pay? Do you think it's an effective tool to address uh, the historic discrimination, and particularly in the legal industry, against uh, non-whites, against women, against different, uh, different sexual groups? At a high level, I think the legal industry is pay to play. The people with the most money can cause the most trouble. And I don't think that's how it should be. And so our mission at Do Not Pay is to make these consumer rights disputes below uh, $10,000 where people can't afford to hire a lawyer accessible. And so I think it does fight discrimination in that way. Beyond that, though, I think that unfortunately, a lot of these AI tools are being used to discriminate. You see this in AI sentencing. Today, judges are getting sentencing reports generated by software and AI and machine learning models. So it's already being used in the prosecution. Um, I believe it should be used to help people and defend people as well. You've always argued that you want to focus on 
the legal vertical, the customer service legal vertical. Uh, are there other verticals that equivalents to do not pay, this cottage industry of startups that are addressing that you're seeing? What other verticals do you think um, are interesting where you have equivalents of do not pay using AI to, um, to, uh, to essentially um, realize the, the revolution? There's an amazing company, it's called Cohere, and they are building AI customer service, not necessarily for consumers like Comcast style, but more for business to business customer service. Um, there's going to be AI therapy chatbots that are as good as a human therapist. I think copywriting is a big thing. There's a company called Jasper, which is at, I think, 100 million in revenue. And then there's Copy AI, uh, um, 14 million plus in revenue. Um, and they're, they're both doing very well. I think anywhere where it's just about sending, writing something in response, customer service or therapy or um, copywriting, um, it is going to have a big impact in the industry. Josh, you're from a, a family of academic high achievers. Your father is one of the most uh, formidable and brave critics of Vladimir Putin. You've written about your, your sister, I think, an academic a protege, a remarkable young woman. Uh, are you worried that this technology might actually undermine academic achievement? Lots of pieces, somewhat historic, uh, hysterical about this technology now being used by students so that teachers, university professors won't be able to distinguish between chat GBT products and real human products. I'm extremely worried. And the reason I'm so worried is that um, when you have some, so the, the previous concern was plagiarism, where someone would take something online and publish it as their own. The issue, and, and that was easy to prove for these universities because they would say, we've detected plagiarism. This is identical to this thing that our software has found. And there's a software, I think it's called Turnitin, which, which actually checks for plagiarism. And people are building the same thing for AI where you can say, this is probably 95% chance it's generated by AI. But it's very hard to prove because just because they have a percentage score doesn't mean you can point to anything. And so even if these students get caught, they're probably going to win their cases if there's ever sort of like judicial process because this the teachers won't be able to actually prove that this has come from somewhere specifically. So it's, it's impossible to prove, impossible to distinguish between chat, uh, chat GBT uh, generated products and real human products. I know that OpenAI is working on it. They're working on an invisible watermark just in terms of the language so that you can tell if it's generated by OpenAI. But what happens when there's 100 machine learning models similar to ChatGPT? There are already open source models um, that might not have a watermark. And so you, there's going to be so many ways to generate via AI that you, you won't be able to tell eventually that it's come from there. Very chilling. Uh, we, we did actually three shows um, this year with three of your former professors at Stanford, Rob Reich, Mehran Sahami, and Jeremy Weinstein. They have a new book out, System Era, Where Big Tech Went Wrong and How We Reboot. And they use you, actually, as you know, at the beginning of the book to suggest uh, uh, perhaps the naivety, shall we say, of startup entrepreneurs. Do you feel a, a particular responsibility, Josh, that this is for real, this is changing the world, 
does it does it make you feel particularly responsible so that it's used if not ethically uh certainly in a way that is not evil you know to borrow the the word that google used when it began its search engine revolution i i think so i think this is making history i think that when we negotiated against comcast it was the first ever time an ai has lowered a utility bill um i think that when we go into the courtroom it'll be the first time it's it's actually represented someone in court um i i, I do feel a lot of responsibility but at the same time everyone hates comcast everyone hates these big corporations and so I, I hope that we're on the right side of it yeah but you know you can always dangle comcast there are other corporations that are and, and it's not comcast for it's just the nature of their business it's like the airlines there are certain industries which just lend themselves to consumer hatred when it comes to this moral responsibility where do you think you need to focus perhaps improve and grow up I think we have a responsibility to be honest. As I mentioned, that AI can get carried away. We have a responsibility to do the best job we can. Um, AI should improve the existing systems, not, not make it worse. Um, and if you're honest and you're doing a good job and you're very inexpensive, 99% cheaper than lawyers, um, I, I think that's my ethical framework and, and that would make me happy. At the beginning of the industrial age, there was a lot of fear that all the peasants who were going to be replaced by machines would have nothing to do and nowhere to go. And of course, they ended up in factories. They ended up as labor in the industrial system. Are there, in your view, in a, in a, in a post-AI world or not in, in an AI world, the revolution that we're about to experience, are there going to be different kinds of jobs? from the kind of jobs that exist at places like Comcast and in law firms? I think so. I think a lot of jobs will be replaced on the one hand. Um, lawyers should be worried. Everyone involved in just writing something, sort of like white collar writing jobs um, will be replaced. But at the same time, I think it will be great for humanity because new jobs will be created. Um, Scale AI, um, an AI company in San Francisco, hired its first prompt writer. So maybe the next wave of jobs will be actually writing prompts for the AI to actually build on top of. Um, no one could have imagined that 20 years ago you would have a whole SEO industry around Google search. And I think the same is true as technology changes, it creates new opportunities for people. The problem is that if you spend six years training to be a lawyer, that's a lot of um, shifting for an individual. And so I think there'll be a lot of retraining and a lot of upheaval created by the shifting economy. But overall, there will still be great jobs for people to get. I mean, I take your point on writing prompts, but that's there aren't millions of jobs in writing prompts. Is there going to be new categories of work, new fields that we perhaps today can't even imagine? I think so. Maybe um, uh, output cleaning in the same way you, there are like cleaners in real life. There'll be cleaners for the AI outputs. Um, there'll be people plugging, connecting the AI to the real world because it might be a great idea to have software generate stuff, but unless that's connected to the real world, it doesn't make much difference. And so what I mean by that is plugging it into connecting it with existing systems that have been around for 40 years and can't just be replaced. So you need to connect it to the AI. Josh, finally, I'm sure you've seen Blade Runner, the great movie yes. built on um, 
short stories suggest uh, imagining a world where we can't di differentiate between humans and machines. Um, wh why should we trust that you're human and, and, and that, or maybe even that I'm human, uh, and that we ourselves and this conversation isn't being generated by chat GPT? Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, I, I can I can reveal that we're working on actually uh, bringing our software to the phone lines, and we we are actually testing it right now with big companies, where it's phoning up big companies and negotiating on the phone. Um, so I, I think it's it's a big concern. Um, I, I think you can tell we're real because uh, the AI, at least with me, would do a better job at answering your questions, but. Um, it's definitely going to be a concern going in the future. I don't think people will believe have to, will believe anything they see online anymore in terms of videos or photos because it could just be generated by AI and deep fake. And of course, AI can't cut itself shaving in the morning, can it, Joe? No, I, I did cut myself here. Excellent.